because that hope will either be false or it will be temporary. Hey, Cross United, I'm so glad you joined us for this online message. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. We're going to be talking about radiant hope in a dark world, so you can turn or tap in your Bible or your app over to 1 Peter chapter 3. While you're doing that, I want to remind you to go to crossunited.org and click give. Um, if you consider Cross United your church home, or you consider yourself a generous person, you can give to and through our church as we are uh, gathering um, partnerships both outside of our church from all across the country, people and churches who are supporting this new work, as well as cultivating faithfulness to give inside of our congregation. While you're there, you can also go to online check-in and fill out the digital connection card where you can let us know a little bit about yourself and ways we can be praying for you. Also want to remind you or maybe inform you if you haven't heard yet, we are going to be having a Christmas Eve gathering on Christmas Eve at 7.15 p.m. We're going to be singing Christmas carols, hearing the truth of the, the hope of the light and life of Christmas. And so plan to be there. It will be a family service, candlelight service, so we're really excited to see you there. The sky reflected perfect blue. It was a crisp spring morning, but down on the street, it was dark. Um, I couldn't feel the sun. I couldn't stand in its light. And as I walked on the sidewalks and looked up at the buildings that seemed to nearly scrape the ceiling of the sky in these neatly rowed canyons of concrete and steel, it felt dark even though the sky was bright. At least that's how it felt uh, in the heart of Manhattan in New York City. And maybe you've been there and realize that in, in, these, in these canyons of concrete and uh, under the shadows of these buildings, that even if the, the day is sunny, often the, the streets and the sidewalks below um, are shadowed over. Um, and, and they say New Yorkers can tell uh, a tourist from a local because the tourists are always looking up and New Yorkers are always looking straight ahead. Tourists are sort of in awe of the, the scope of the, the buildings around them. And real New Yorkers are used to it and they're on a mission and they're just going about their day. Well, I believe this is actually something like what is happening in our world. We live in a world that has been shadowed over. Um, we, and, and we live in a world that's darker than it should be, and often darker than we expect it to be. And like local New Yorkers, and I'm not making a moral judgment about New Yorkers, but like New Yorkers, we've gotten used to the shadows and the darkness. We've adjusted our sights and our strategies, and we're going about our business in the world of shadows and the canyon of darkness around us. But not always. Sometimes, the shadows are so dark that we pay attention and it startles us, or sometimes a shaft of light will startle us and we'll be reminded again, like we saw in last week's message, um, how Andy Dufresne in The Shawshank Redemption talks about hope is this thing that reminds you that there are places in the world not made out of stone and shadow. We're reminded either from the, the depth of the darkness or by a brief glimpse of the light that there is something beyond 
in our world darkened by death and shadowed by sin, I believe we need to look up and see the bright light of the hope that God offers to us. And this time of year is a time where we can lean in to that hope. We're studying this series, Light and Life to All He Brings, and, and looking ha- about at how we can rediscover hope this Advent season. For, for centuries, the church has celebrated, or, or observed, I should say, the season of Advent leading up to the Feast of Christmas with, a, with fasting and longing and waiting. Advent is a season of hope, and we need that hope now more than ever. We've talked about thrilling hope in a weary world from Romans 5. We've talked about invisible hope in a visual world from Romans 8. And this message, we're going to be talking about radiant hope in a dark world from 1 Peter chapter 3. During his earthly life and ministry, Jesus had this group of followers, disciples, apostles who walked with him and learned from him and apprenticed with him and saw his life, his ministry, his miracles, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And the leader of this group, the the bold, assertive, um, sometimes um, unpredictable leader of this group was a man named Peter. And Peter after he walked with Jesus and then spent six weeks with Jesus after Jesus had risen from the dead and ascended into heaven, Peter, with all the disciples on the day of Pentecost, was filled with the Holy Spirit and began to lead the church on its mission in Jerusalem and across the world. And and he he continued to play this key role as the the church sort of spread like crabgrass across the 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 roads of the Roman Empire and the seaways of the Roman Empire and began to root itself into many of the major cities over in just a, a few short years and and in within the lifetime of these apostles the church had established itself all over the Roman world and Peter was one of the recognized leaders of the church and as a leader of the church. He encouraged the churches, he led the churches, he taught the churches, and and he actually served churches that would be modern-day Turkey, Asia Minor, um, as a pastoral leader. And he wrote letters to these churches who, at this season, were undergoing intense suffering and difficulties. And, and Peter wrote these Christians a letter in the midst of their difficulties to remind them of the, the, the faith and the, and the grace that God gives to us in the midst of these difficulties. And in the midst of this first letter that Peter wrote, we find this beautiful little paragraph that reminds us of radiant hope in a dark world. Will you look with me at 1 Peter 3? Who then will harm you if you are devoted to what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear them or be intimidated. But in your hearts, regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do this with gentleness and reverence, keeping a clear conscience, so that when you are accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Here we find that when a person hears the gospel and turns away from their sin and turns to Jesus for forgiveness and eternal life, that they are filled with the gift of hope. And that, that Christians have 
hope in two senses. They have hope as a thing, an object, a reality, a future thing that God is going to do in the world. And they also have a subjective feeling, a sense of hope. We saw last week about this, this quadrant where every one of us lands in one of these four squares. And, and the, the vertical axis is a, the, the, the difference between eternal Christian hope and temp on the top and temporary or false hope on the bottom. And then the, the horizontal axis, axis is um, the feeling of being hopeless on the left or being hopeful on the right. And we, we saw that every one of us is in one of these quadrants. We, if we're not a follower of Jesus, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you don't have that eternal rock solid hope. And if you don't feel hope, then you're in the bottom left and you're in a place of despair. You, you, you don't have true hope and you don't feel hope. And, and on the other hand, if you're someone who's not a follower of Jesus, but you feel a sense of hope, what you're going to find is that you will end up being disappointed because that hope will either be false or it will be temporary. Even if it lasts your life, it lifelong, it will not last you for eternity. On the upper half of the grid, we see that Christians who have that real true hope, but don't feel hope, those are Christians who are discouraged. But where God wants us all to move is to the top right quadrant. He wants us to move to a place of being delighted. And when we are a delighted Christian who has the true hope of Christ as a reality and we feel that hope in our hearts, we radiate hope. We radiate hope. And so from this passage in 1 Peter, I want to talk about six characteristics of radiant hope in a dark world, along with six ways that we can actually dim or, or, or dull the, the brightness and the radiance of our hope. So let's look at the first one. Number one, we radiate hope by a holy life. Who then will harm you if you are devoted to what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. So here we see Peter encouraging these Christians, even in the midst of their suffering, especially in the midst of their suffering, to be devoted to righteousness, to be devoted to goodness, to be devoted to obeying the Lord. See, when God comes into a person's life, God, the in, in, in the person of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ came to the earth to live a sinless life, to die a sinner's death on the cross, to be buried and raised from the dead, so that anyone who will turn from their sin and trust in him will be forgiven of their sin and given eternal life. Not on the basis of what they've done or what they haven't done, but solely on the basis of the gift of salvation that we get a hold of by believing and faith. So we turn from our sin and we trust in Christ. And then what God does in our hearts is in the midst of that process is he gives us a new desire, a new reality inside of us, a new life inside of us that leads us to want to do what God calls us to do. So we have things like the Ten Commandments, where God commands us the pattern of life, where we honor the Lord, we, we honor our neighbor, we love God, and we love our neighbor, and we, we, we obey God, we live a holy life, we follow God's commands, we, we live life like God intended when we follow the pattern of Jesus. We should follow God's words and God's ways, and in, the, in, in so doing, that the hope will radiate from us as we live an obedient, holy Christian 
life. But on the other hand, we can dim our radiant hope by sinful hypocrisy. When we engage the desires of our hearts, because even when we're Christians, we still have sin dwelling in us until until God makes us new at the the end when Christ will return. When When we disobey God, we dim the radiance of our hope. Sinful hypocrisy is a pattern of sin without repentance, without turning away from that and trusting God and asking for forgiveness. It's not being sinless. But it's the fact that as we grow in Christ, what the Bible calls when we are sanctified, when we are progressively and increasingly made more like Jesus, we begin to sin less. Not that we are without sin, but that we repent and sorrow over our sin and turn away from it and are gradually, by God's grace and His Holy Spirit's power, becoming more like Jesus. We reject pornography. We reject cutting corners or fudging the numbers. We love our families. We love our, our, our neighbors as ourselves. We're the same person online as we are in person. We're, we're not hypocrites and, and we don't engage in sinful hypocritical behavior. The second characteristic of radiant hope, we radiate hope when we're courageous. There in verse 14, do not fear them or be intimidated. And this, what this actually is uh, doing, Peter here is quoting the Old Testament. He's quoting the book of Isaiah. Um, and, and I think this is especially appropriate to us as some of these like crazy conspiracy theories swirl around on the internet and, and sometimes on cable news. Look what he says. Do not call everything a conspiracy. These people say is a conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear and do not be terrified. That's the part where Peter's quoting here. You are to regard only the Lord Yahweh. When you see Lord there in all capitals, that's the Hebrew name of God, Yahweh. You are to regard only the Lord of armies as holy. Only he should be feared. Only he should be held in awe. See, what happens is the fear of God drives out the fear of everything else. We learn again who God is, and we learn when God is, if he is this great, if he is this good, if he is this gracious, then what else do we have to be afraid of? C.S. Lewis said, courage is not simply one of the virtues, but the form of every virtue at the testing point, meaning when the pressure is on, will you do what is right? Will you live with courage. Cur- courage is spill- weak willingness to speak the truth when it's a lot more comfortable not to say anything. Courage is the ability to stay silent when you don't need to add your voice to the, to the noise. Courage is delaying gratification for a greater pleasure that is to come. Real Christian courage is not the willingness to fight for something that's clearly a loss, but to take a loss like Christ on the cross, when you legitimately could and should have won. Courage is the willingness not to die for our own ideals, not to die for our political vision, not to to give ourselves for our own ambition, but to die both figuratively and, if necessary, literally for the sake of Christ. On the other hand, we condemn our radiant hope by living in a spirit of fear, Scripture says God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. 
We should be realistic. We should not be reckless. Faith is not the same as recklessness, but faith leads us to live a life of courage. And so many people are living in a spirit of fear. People are living in a spirit of fear over what's going to happen because of certain political situations. People are living in a spirit of fear over what's going to happen over certain medical diagnoses. People are living in a spirit of fear over financial fluctuations. People are living, Christians are living in a spirit of fear, and it is dimming the radiance of their hope. Third, we radiate hope when we believe the truth about Jesus. Look in verse 15. But in your hearts, regard Christ the Lord as holy. Again, we see here Peter citing Isaiah. Look there again at Isaiah 8. Do not call everything conspiracy. These people say as a conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be terrified. You are to regard only the Lord of armies as holy. Only he should be feared. Only he should be held in awe. Now, notice the radical claim that Peter makes. He says to regard Christ the Lord as holy, whereas in, in Isaiah it says to regard Yahweh the Lord as holy. What is he doing? He is saying that Jesus Christ is Yahweh, the true and living God, the God who created the world, the God who entered into covenant with Abraham, the, the God who gave the Ten Commandments to Moses, the God who called David to be king, the God who promised the new covenant through the prophet Jeremiah, that God is Jesus. Jesus is God, as we see in the Bible, the, that God, Yahweh, is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is eternally a trinity, as we see in the, the ancient creeds of the faith that faithfully summarize the Bible's teaching, the Nicene Creed and the Chalcedonian Creed, that Jesus Christ is truly, fully God. And in his incarnation, his taking on of human nature, he is also truly and fully human, a real man who is also the true and living God. This is the mystery of the miracle of Christmas, that Jesus is the God-man. He is the king of the kings and the Lord of all lords. On the other hand, we condemn the radiance of our hope by believing and communicating or implying false things about Jesus. We believe and communicate false things about Jesus when we live our lives in such a way that that shows that he isn't actually our hope. He isn't actually our help. He isn't actually our Lord, but something else is. Well, it, it can be a bad thing like drugs, or it can be a good thing like family. It can be career. It can be hobbies. It can be anything. But when we live life in that way, regardless of what we say we believe, we communicate the false, false things about Jesus by saying he is not as great as he is, by saying he is not as fierce and as as kind and as loving and as righteous and as worthy as he is. When we believe and communicate false things about Jesus, we dim the radiance of Christian hope. Fourth, we radiate hope when we're ready to explain the gospel. In verse 15, it says to be ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you. Two sets of questions pop up here. First, does your life radiate hope 
in such a way that people will ask you about it? Does your life radiate Christian hope Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday as much as it does when you may be raising your hands in praise on Sunday? Does your life radiate hope? Does your life indicate something radically different about you, both by what you do and by what you say? It's not enough to just live it. You have to speak it. Does your life radiate hope? That's the first question. The second question is, if it does, are you ready to talk about it? Are you ready to give a a defense? Are you ready to give an answer? Are you ready to explain what you believe? This doesn't mean you have to have a PhD or a master's degree in Bible and theology. It means you simply need to know what you believe and be able to explain it in a simple and basic way. You don't have to have every answer, but you do have to have an answer. You have to be ready. On the other hand, we condemn radiant hope by spiritual lethargy, or what we often call at our church, living life on autopilot. Too many Christians get into a mode of living life on cruise control or autopilot. You know, this is this new feature in the in the new Teslas that, that you know, the self-driving feature, it's the wave of the, the future, you know, all, all cars will be self-driving and you don't actually, you're not actually driving, you put your destination in and it drives you where you're supposed to go. They're working out the kinks and all that. Well, that's cool for a Tesla. That's cool for a futuristic vehicle, but it's a terrible way to live your life. God calls us to live life with intention, to live life with purpose, to live life with passion, to have a goal for his glory, not just our own ambition. Do you live life with the intention of pursuing Christ in your personal life, in your family, in your career, in your world, in our church. Fifth, we radiate hope when we engage skeptics with gentle respect. So we give this defense that in verse 16, it says, yet do this with gentleness and reverence, keeping a clear conscience so that when you are accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. Too often, Christians try to accomplish what they see as God's purposes in the world's ways. We try to get kingdom work done in worldly ways. We, 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 we mirror the tactics and the strategies of the world rather than the tactics and the strategies of the Lord. We, we, we treat people who believe different things than us, whether that's politics or religion or whatever, as enemies rather than as neighbors, as the, 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 the ones we're fighting against rather than the ones we're fighting for. We're not at war with our neighbors. We're at war with the flesh in our own hearts, the sin that lives within us. We're at war with the devil, and we're at war with the system of the world that pushes against righteousness in all its forms. But we are not at war with our neighbors. We are not fighting against our neighbors. We're fighting for them. We want them to hear and see the gospel and to be able to see in us the radiance of hope. And how will they see it? if we don't treat them with 
gentle and respect, gentle respect and dignity. And this is what happens when we dim our radiant hope by constant combativeness. We, we, we treat people like they're subhuman. We treat people like they're our enemies rather than our neighbors. We pick fights, maybe in comment sections on Facebook or in conversations at a holiday meal. We parrot the things we've heard on XYZ cable news or on XYZ.com instead of mirroring the radiant, gentle hope that Christ gives to us. Sixth and finally, we radiate hope when we suffer well. Verse 17 says, For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Hope only radiates from those who wait. Hope will only radiate from someone who will wait. Because someone who already has what they're looking for has no need for hope. Hope is future. Hope is the objective thing and the subjective feeling that we have in delight when we know God is true, we know his promises are sure, and we feel it deep inside so that nothing can shake it. So this means that when Christians suffer, whether because of persecution from the world or persecution from the brokenness of creation, where we suffer in sickness, where we suffer in, in whatever it may be, when we suffer well, we radiate the hope of the gospel. On the other hand, we condemn our hope by constant complaining. Now, this one hits me because I can be a complainer sometimes. I can lament the things that aren't what I want them to be. I had a friend in college who talked about just 214-ing it. She said, just 214 it. 214, Philippians 214. Do everything without grumbling or complaining. Christians should exude gratitude rather than grumbling. They should be the least irritated people on the planet. In the Bible, we read about a man who sat in the presence of the Lord for 40 days, hearing the words of the Lord. This man had seen not the face of God's glory, but, the, but a glimpse of what God called the back of his glory, the, 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 the veil of his glory. The Lord revealed his word to this man. And as that man sat up on the summit of a mountain and, and received the glory of the Lord, and he descended and came down from that mountain, he didn't realize that he literally was glowing with glory. Exodus 34 says, as Moses descended from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands, as he descended the mountain, he did not realize that the skin of his face shone as a result of his speaking with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, the skin of his face shone. They were afraid to come near him, but Moses called out to them. So Aaron and all the leaders of the community returned to him and Moses spoke to them. 
Afterward, all the Israelites came near, and he commanded them to do everything the Lord had told him on Mount Sinai. When Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face, but whenever Moses went before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. After he came out, he would tell the Israelites what had he had been commanded, and the Israelites would see that Moses' face was radiant. Moses would put the veil over his face until he went to speak with the Lord. Moses literally radiated glory from being in God's presence. He absorbed the glory of the Lord so that his face was literally bright like the sun, and he had to put cloth over it because people couldn't bear to look at it. It was so bright. When we get to the New Testament, we see that, that if that is the radiance of the old covenant carved in chunks of stone, how much more glorious is the new covenant which God writes on the heart in Christ, the spiritual covenant in which we don't radiate glory by absorbing it and reflecting it like the moon, but we radiate it from the inside like the sun because of the spirit living within us. Look what first, Second Corinthians 3 says, We are not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from gazing steadily until the end of the glory of what was being set aside. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains. It is not lifted because it is only set aside in Christ. Yet still today, whenever Moses is read, meaning the first five books of the Old Testament or the, the books Moses wrote, a veil lies over their hearts. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We all, with unveiled faces, are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Long story short, Christians radiate the glory of God because of the person of the Holy Spirit, God, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity living inside of them, who not only radiates the hope of the glory of God, but also transforms Christians from glory into glory. When we turn from our sin and we trust in Christ, and we're brought into him for forgiveness and new life. We radiate hope in a dark world. Thank you.